The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'd like to continue our consideration of the kingdom of heaven and particularly the parable of the sower. And this morning we've made our way to the good ground. We've considered the, the wayside and the challenges that they have of not understanding the word before they really understand the gospel, before they really understand the word of God. Satan comes and blinds their minds and deceives them. And then you have the children of God in the stony ground that shoot up very quickly and they receive the word with joy and and they're excited about it but they don't have the time to have that root system get strong and deep to where they can encounter uh, challenges and and, uh, tribulation and then that persecution comes for the word's sake they don't have that stability and they they fade away at least in that moment and as we've mentioned many different times that this is describing an individual response to the gospel at a moment in time and and there are many people that have fallen away for a period of time but they've repented and come back and been good ground in the in the future and we praise god for that and then the thorny ground and uh, those particular thorns that can choke us out entangle us and choke out our fruitfulness the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches the pleasure of this life and just in case none of that fits your case the lust of other things there's a lot of other things that can get in the way and the, the thorny ground is, is um, a, a state where those thorns have got so thick that they quench out uh, the fruitfulness altogether. But I hope that you realize how important those thorns are for us because uh, I don't know of anyone here this morning that has been totally choked out because you're, you're here. You're, you're here. You're worshiping God. You're serving God. But a lot of the difference between the good ground of one ground being 100 fold another ground being 60 fold another ground being 30 fold a lot of the difference between those what's what's the difference between the 100 fold uh, great example of discipleship and then those that are struggling a little bit well a lot of the times it's the forms isn't it it's it's diminishing your fruitfulness and if you don't take care of them when it's diminishing your fruitfulness it can choke you out totally, which is what's being described there by the thorny ground. So this morning we would like to consider the good ground, and I'm I'm thankful to be preaching to people that are in the good ground this morning. Praise God for that, because again, you're all here, and I've seen the fruit that you've manifested, but I believe that we can all see that I don't think any of us have arrived. I don't think any of us have can, can definitively say you know what, I am a hundredfold good ground and I don't have any room for growth. I don't have, I've I've arrived, I'm I'm totally satisfied with the amount of fruit that I'm bearing to the glory of God. And and again, he's giving you a ballpark here. Hundredfold, 60, 30. But everyone, every child of God falls everywhere in between. Uh, You know, there's not just three three levels. Uh, and, And none of us are truly... 100-fold good ground. And if you think you are, then 
take heed lest you fall. That's what Jesus said. That's what God said uh, through the Holy Spirit. So I, I believe it's very helpful for those of us that are in the church. The other three, uh, at least at this point in their life, have reached a point where they have fallen away from the church. The wayside may never believe, uh, not, not that they may never believe, but in, in that moment in time, they may not be a member of the church. The stony ground believes, but they fade away. The thorny ground gets choked out. And we see many people that are at, at one time faithful, but they let things creep in. They don't beat back those thorns, and they get choked out. And that's just an unfortunate reality in the church. And that's part of the reason why God gave his uh, preachers, why he gave the apostles this uh, this parable because they had gone out they cast out devils and they were all excited and they were almost having almost 100% success when they first started out and he said listen praise God praise God for that but I want you to understand how it's going to be most of the time most of the time most of the time you're going to be dealing with a lot of challenges in the church because these are all children of God these are all at least three of the four are church members <laughs> stony, thorny, and good, and even in the good, you're trying to exhort people to greater faithfulness, but there's some people who just, they just choose to live their whole life in 30-fold good ground. They, they should be progressing. They should be growing, but they're, but they're not. This is the reality that we have here in the church. So he's saying, listen, don't be discouraged, and certainly when you're preaching, uh, don't feel like there's anything wrong with the message. There's nothing wrong with the message of salvation by, by the free and sovereign grace of God, right? There's nothing wrong with the message. As is always the case, the problem is the people. It's us. So I think it's, it's very helpful for those of us that are in the church to have a moment of introspection and say, what areas of my life could I pursue abundant fruitfulness in a, in a greater way? Because if you're satisfied with where you're at, be careful, because I guarantee you there's some thorns growing <laughs> under your feet. <laughs> if you think that, be careful, because there's thorns growing under your feet. Matthew chapter 13. We'll just take it from the top. Verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude sat uh, they stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who, <clears throat> who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus explains this parable, and we'll look at the explanation of the good ground in verse 23. He that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So we find here that even in the good ground, there is a 
variable degree of fruitfulness even in the good ground. And we certainly see that disposition in the church as well. It's very interesting here in Matthew's account. He says some bring forth fruit, some 100, some 60, and 30. So that's the order in Matthew, 100, 60, and 30. But then in Mark, he says it as 30, 60, and 100. Reverse order. And then in Luke, he only addresses 100-fold. And I think what he's saying there is that there is a great degree of variability in the fruit that even the good ground disciples will exhibit, right? And that's why you get into so many problems. The very next parable that Jesus gives in Matthew 13 that we hope to make our way through the other six of the seven parables in Matthew chapter 13, the very next parable that he gives is the parable of the wheat and the tares that some people may be prone, and that's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God in this way. It always understands the natural disposition of man and the wrong assumptions that people are going to make. So you see someone that from your mind is not living like they ought to. And guess what? That stony ground person should repent. That that thorny ground person should get rid of those thorns. But it's very easy to look at them and say, you know what? I just don't think they're making the cut. I I don't think they're really even a child of God. And that's why he gives the, the very next parable is that when you're, when you're tempted to do that, Lord, I think that I know the eternal state of this person. Let me go root them up. He said, no, don't do that because you're going to damage good wheat because you don't have all the information, okay? So when people look at uh, a parable such as this and they say, if you don't meet this criteria, then that means you're just not really a child of God. You're a false professor and you're going to hell. You understand, right, that that is the exact thing that Jesus warned about in the parable right after it. (laughs) Okay? We can see in the church and in life, there is a wide degree of variability in the fruit that God's children, or the quantity of fruit, not, not not the quality. We know what the quality is, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. But the quantity that uh, a fruit that a child of God bears, and it varies a lot. Varies a lot. And we all need to be progressing toward greater degree of fruitfulness in, in serving the Lord. So let's go to John chapter 15. And here we find another agricultural analogy, not so much in the, uh, in the crop fields, but out in the vineyard. I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Now, you need to keep in mind right here, the scripture says exactly what it means. This branch is in Christ. Every branch in me. But you know what? They've let some thorns grow up. They've not been as diligent in their discipleship as they should have been. And God expects fruit. We talked about that in the thornograph. God expects fruit from his vines and from his children. And if he comes to inspect and there's not fruit there, the vineyard, uh, the husbandman is not going to be happy with that vine in the vineyard, is he? Now, for those of us that hope to be in the good ground, at least we're doing our best to serve God to the best of our ability, also don't be discouraged when challenges come in your life. 
because how do you get, if, you're, if you feel like that I'm on the low end of fruitfulness, I'm down in the 30 range or maybe, maybe even lower than that, maybe I'm only fivefold, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not as fruitful as I ought to be. How do you get to more fruitfulness? You know, how do you get from 30 to 60? How do you get from 60 to 100? Now, there's some proactive things that you need to do, and the Bible tells you all about that. But don't think that it's going to be easy and that it's going to be simple for you to grow in fruitfulness because, he says here in the second half of verse 2, every branch that beareth fruit, they're bringing forth fruit. But how do you bring forth more fruit? Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So one of the ways that you grow in greater fruitfulness in the kingdom is by being purged. By being purged, by being pruned back during those trials of affliction. But when you grow back, you grow back stronger, right? So don't be discouraged when challenges come in your life because that, that very well may be God purging you back to greater fruitfulness. It may be God using the, the fire of affliction to burn away some dross in your life and, and get rid of some unrepentant besetting sins that are, that are diminishing your fruitfulness in the kingdom. And that should be our prayer, really, is Lord, and one of the songs that we sing, Lord, make me and mold me after your will. Lord, purge me. Lord, if there's something in my life, if, if there is an unrepentant sin, if there's a bad attitude that I have, Lord, if there's anything in my life that is hindering me from greater fruitfulness in the kingdom to your honor and to your glory, Lord, take whatever it takes to get it out of there. Purge it out and send the fire of affliction. Why? Because our purpose, our calling is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. And, and we'll go ahead and skip to verse 8. Herein is my glory, is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. We desire to bring forth more fruit, not so I can look, compare myself to anyone else, and, and they judging themselves are not wise. It's not, a, it's not for you to compare your fruit to any. Which, by the way, fruit is just a external, uh, is an external evidence of the health of the tree. The purpose of fruit is not to say, man, I need to bring forth more fruit. No, it all starts in the heart. It all starts with us loving God more purely in our heart. And guess what? If you get that right, all the, all the external fruit takes care of itself, okay? So your, your goal in this should not be, you know what? I, I just got to figure out. I got to buy some more fertilizer. I got I to gotta find a way to get more fruit. Listen, you just do the, the, the two greatest commandments right. <laughs> you just wake up every day and say, I'm going to try to love God with more of my heart and more of my mind and more of my soul. And I want to exhibit that in my external actions by loving my neighbor and myself. And if you get that internal disposition and love toward God right, all the fruit's going to take care of itself. All right? But our desire, our goal in life, the whole reason why God chose us, the whole reason why God made a creation, the whole reason why he created this earth is for what purpose? If you don't know the answer to this question, I have failed as a pastor the last seven years. For the glory of God. For the glory of God. And my desire is that I bring forth as much fruit as possible. Not so I can say, I have a lot more fruit than you. 
Not so I can say anyone who's not bring forth as much fruit as I am. You're not a really sincere Christian. You're not really a child of God. The, my only desire, my only desire for bringing forth more fruit is that God would be greater glorified. Okay? Herein is my Father glorified that we bring forth much fruit. How do you bring forth much fruit? Backing up to verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. Now, you don't choose to get in Christ in an eternal sense. You don't have that option. But there's a big difference between being a son and being a disciple, right? There's a big difference between being in heaven with God at the end of time and then walking hand in hand with Jesus on a daily basis and abiding with him and fellowshipping with him on a daily basis. And if you abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in the vine. It's not up to you to say, I've got I've to generate more fruit. The only way that you can generate more fruit is by abiding more in the vine. You see? Abiding more in Jesus. Verse 5, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him... The same bringeth forth much fruit. I mean, how do you bring forth more, more fruit for the glory of God? These things are so simple, but yet they're so complicated, you know? How do we bring forth more fruit? Abide more closely in fellowship and communion and service and love to Jesus Christ, right? How do you, how do you bring forth more fruit? Abide with Jesus. And if you love him with all of your heart, Obviously, that's the person you're going to want to abide with, right? You don't want to abide with the world. The world hates Christ. You don't want to abide with the world. You want to abide with him and with also those who, fit, who share that same affection and love toward him. Abide in me, and you will bring forth much fruit. But it's always good to be reminded, the conclusion of verse 5, for without me you can do nothing. Now, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, you're going to be blessed beyond measure. If you abide in me, you're going to bring forth much fruit. But just in case you ever start thinking you can do it by yourself, just in case you ever start thinking there's something I can do in my own strength, let me just remind you, for without me, you can do nothing. Now, if a child of God, if a man, the same person in verse 2, that's in me, it's a branch that's in me, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. God doesn't cast them into hell. Men gather them. There, there's a place for judgment and for discipline in the Lord's church. If someone reaches a point, they believe in the Lord, they join the church, they follow, unfortunately, the stony ground path, and they fall away, and... We should encourage them and meet with them. And it is the church's responsibility to galvanize around that member of the church. But after an extended period of time, and we're not talking about a month or six months, but if, if someone just totally neglects the assembly of the saints, if they totally neglect the church with no, no indication of repentance, we don't ignore that for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. That is hurting the health of the church to do that. And, and then when someone 
is choked out with the cares of this world. And oh, we're just so busy. We're, we're chasing our kids all around and we're so busy and you never come to church because you're too concerned about travel ball and, and every other thing in this world and you don't come to church for like five years or something. It is dishonoring to the head of the body for the church to ignore that. So there comes a time, there comes a time where you know what? If you're not bringing forth fruit, and then we're not fruit inspectors and trying to say, if you don't do this, we're kicking you out. I hope you understand the purpose of church discipline is always, that's not to punish people for mistakes. The purpose of church discipline is always, always so that the fire gets hot enough under their feet to bring them to repentance, to come back to the church, that you should be miserable enough uh, in, in being removed, which by the way, I don't think that, that as a whole, as Primitive Baptists, that we really understand the importance of communion. And the reason I say that is because there are two ordinances of, to, of the church. And a lot of church members, they just ignore communion. They just don't show up. They, they take vacation during communion services, or they just sit at home. They just choose not to. But the, you should understand the importance of communion enough that when the church says, now when we turn someone out of the church, we don't say, you are not allowed to walk through those doors anymore. No, the, the place they need to be is in church. But what you cannot do, if you are not bringing forth fruit in this way, and the church has to deal with this in a disciplinary way, you can't partake of communion. And you know what? There's many children of God. Many primitive Baptists are like, okay, that's not that big of a deal. That's one or two times a year. Uh, I can still show up to church. I can still go do whatever I want to do. Oh, I don't do communion. I don't come half the time anyway to communion. I, I haven't took communion in 10 years anyway. Well, that's really no big deal. That indicates a total misunderstanding of what communion is supposed to be. Because the what should happen is that they are so convicted that I'm not able to partake of communion anymore, that that should bring them to repentance. To say, I want to commune with my Lord and wash the saints' feet. I, I would have such a desire to do that, that you, uh, the church taking the correct action to protect the overall health of the body, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. We have to protect the, the whole body. And we do what we have to do to protect the church. And then... That hurts my heart so much that I can't commune with the Lord in that way. And I can't watch the saints. That, that is just too heavy for me to bear. I've got to come before the church and repent because so I can commune with the church in that way. Instead, it's like, well, that's just like once a year. That's not that big of a deal. Listen, we don't understand communion. We don't understand what we're doing if that is not a real factor when people are disciplined of the church. Okay? So, if someone over an extended period of time, listen, it is inappropriate for the church to stick our head in the sand and ignore somebody that hadn't been in this building for five years. That's disrespectful to the head of the body. That's disrespectful to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now, they were already his disciples, right? 
but you will manifest in a public way. That's what he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, he said, here is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Well, what's the very first fruit of the Spirit? It's love, isn't it? Right? So when you're bringing forth that much love, people are going to say, wow, there's something different about these people. There's something different. And that's the kind of testimony that the church should have. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 33. I don't know if I've given you this as a memory verse yet, but this is a bonus for you. Just in case you hadn't got around to it yet, you need to know this verse. You got a bonus one. Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now in the context here, he's saying don't take any thought for your life or for your drink for raiment. God takes care of the fowls. He takes care of the lilies. He knows you have need of all these things. So don't worry about it. Verse 34, don't take any thought for the morrow. Don't, don't be concerned about what may happen tomorrow. Just put God first and rest in him in faith. And God will take care of his faithful children. Seek you first the kingdom of God. So what's the difference? What's the difference between diminished fruitfulness in the good ground and then a 100-fold good ground disciple? What are, what are some of the challenges that prevent us from bringing forth much fruit to the glory of God? <clears throat> I want you to notice here the priority of the kingdom. But seek you first. Now, this doesn't mean that we put a listing of paper. What are your priorities? And I'll put God in the kingdom is number one, and my family is number two, and friends is number three, and then down at the bottom is work. Or It's not a matter of one, two, three, four, five. I've heard a very good uh, analogy, and you know, preachers quote preachers who quote preachers who quote preachers, and uh, I most of the time forget my citations, so just in case if anyone's listening to this, I, most of the time I can't remember. I'm not trying to plagiarize anybody. I just can't remember where I heard from. All right, But this one's quoted from somebody who's quoted from somebody who's quoted from somebody. But it's a good analogy, and I don't know who came up with it. But anyway, um, it's not a one, two, three, four, five, but the hub of a wagon wheel, you have the hub in the middle and you have the spokes that come out. Well, church is not just something that we do once a week. It's not a place that we go. It's not a, a meeting we attend. The kingdom of God is the hub at the center of your life, and the spokes come out from that. So when we, when we say seek you first the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean that I seek first the kingdom of God on Sunday, or I just do it in this setting, and then I go and I go do, go other places. Oh, no, it doesn't matter if you're at home. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're in a joyous time that we have in public worship. The center of your life, the center of the life of the child of God is the kingdom. It comes first. And everything in your life filters through that center. The way that you view, the way that you work in your workplace is filtered through what? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, right? Right? The way that you raise your children is filtered through what? 
Raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Children, how do you interact with your parents? It's filtered through what? Obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Every aspect of your life is filtered through the kingdom of God first. You see? It's not a matter of one, two, three, four, five. And when I go, when I show up to location number five, uh, that's distinct and separate from the king. No, you just put the kingdom first as the lens through which you examine and you make decisions in every area of your life, okay? So most of our diminished fruitfulness is a lack of priorities. It's, as it says a little bit earlier in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, your eye has not been single. You've been distracted. You've got your eye off the prize. You've got distracted. What do you need to do? And a little bit different analogy, he says in uh, Matthew chapter 7, well, you can't really judge someone else if you've got a beam sticking out of your eye. You can't really judge them if they got a boat in their eye. So if your eye's not if your eye's been distracted, probably the best thing to do to have good vision is maybe see if there may be a beam sticking out of my eye, right? So maybe you want to get that beam out of your eye. And then once you have your beam, the beam out of your eye, now you can see clearly to now focus on what you need to focus on, right? Your eye's not been single, you've been distracted with the things of this world. And that's what the thorns are. I hope that you understood that, right? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of this life, the lust of other things, those are the things that get us distracted from putting the kingdom first. They get us entangled. Be not entangled with the affairs of this life. They get us tangled up. So we have to put the kingdom first. Let's look at Luke chapter 14. This is a parable here, Luke chapter 14. It's introduced in verse 15. When one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed be he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said at an earlier point, he said, You're going to be blessed to actually sit down in the kingdom. You're going to be able to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. Wow, that's really something, isn't it? And he's saying, Look, you have the ability to sit down and partake of this beautiful feast that we have in the kingdom. But there's going to be some things that are going to distract you from partaking of that beautiful feast that we have in the kingdom. So he says, a certain man made a great supper and he bade many people and he sent a servant at supper to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent, (laughs) and that literally means accord. Uh, It's interesting uh, there can be unity in a negative sense. Uh, there's a lot of unity that we have seen all over the news this week in the pro-choice, pro-abortion. There's a lot of unity in that movement against the things of God. Now, the positive side of that is there in, in Acts, the church, when it was being blessed in an amazing way, you have this amazing uh, uh, description of the unity that they had that is so prevalent throughout the book of Acts. It says they were all with one accord. With one accord. And here, these people, unfortunately, now this is, many of these parables have dual applications. 
uh, and one of them primarily is the Jews. So he's talking about here, the Jews almost with one accord came up with excuses of why they rejected Christ, why they didn't follow him properly. But it applies to us today as well. But they all with one accord, I mean, they were united in making up excuses. <laughs> How about that? Uh, they were united in making up excuses about, oh, well, this is why we can't really do what you're telling us to do. So they all, with one accord, began to make excuse. I mean, Jesus just calls a spade a spade, right? And these are not legitimate problems. No, they're just making excuses, okay? They came with one accord and began to make excuse. And the first said, the first excuse, I bought a piece of ground and I must need go and see it. I pray thee me be excused. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever purchased real estate. He, actually, he goes on to say here, the next person, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go prove them or test them. I pray that I may be excused. So first of all, you may have purchased real estate, or you also may have purchased a vehicle, or you may have purchased some uh, means of uh, equipment that you use in a job or something like that. How many of you didn't go test drive a vehicle before you, before you bought it? How many of you didn't see the land that you were purchasing? That's bad practice, isn't it? <laughs> now, uh, are, were they just straight up lying, or were they making an excuse? Well, Jesus said they're making an excuse. So maybe they're just bad businessmen, you know? Maybe they just make poor decisions, but it's really bad practice to buy land without looking at it first, isn't it? <laughs> that'd, be bad. that'd be a bad idea. But he says, look, no, 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 I can't, I can't follow you. Why? Because I've got this land and I haven't looked at it yet. And I really need to go do that right now. <laughs> you know, this is a matter of priorities, isn't it? You know what? There's, there's a time to go look at land. There's a time to, to go look at real estate before you make a transaction but not when the king bids you to a supper. Not when God calls you to follow him, okay? It's a matter of priorities. There's nothing wrong with going and looking at land. There's nothing wrong with, here in this day, uh, I bought five yoke of oxen. There's no problem with going and test driving a vehicle or if you own a construction business, let me go test drive this excavator. You know, I mean, whatever the circumstances. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But listen, the priority comes. You can do that anytime. You can go look at that land anytime. You can go prove those oxen anytime. But there is a specific supper that you are bidden to, and that supper, the, the invitation of the king takes priority. Okay? And they were just making excuses here. And then he says, verse 20, another person came, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. Well, you know what? There's nothing better in this world than marriage. It's the picture of the love between Christ and the church. I'm glad you married, married a wife. Praise God. You know what you can probably do? You can bring her too, right? Uh, you, you're saying that, that you can't come because you married a wife. I doubt he's only inviting the husband. Guess what? Go get her, and we can have supper for two. He said, no, 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 I can't come. I can't come. I'm married a wife. And then Jesus, here in this context, just gets so frustrated with primarily the Jews, but I think the principle applies to us as well, where he said, you know what? All of you have excuses. You know what? Go out quickly into the streets and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Verse 23, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that, in, that my house may be filled. 
God desires for his house to be filled. And the, uh, the parable of the talents, uh, turn to Luke chapter 9, and I'm just going to mention this in, in Matthew 25. But the parable of the talents is that he gave one five, one two, and one one, and then they went out and they got five more. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Said the same thing to the one that had five and got five more, the one that had two and one got two more, and then one went and hid it in the earth. He was unfruitful, right? He was unfruitful. And he said, thou wicked and slothful servant. And then he took away what he had and he gave it to uh, the, one that, the one that already had ten. But what they're saying here is that we should take advantage of what is presented to us because if we decline the RSVP to the kingdom, God's not obligated. God's not obligated to give you 50 different RSVPs. I mean, he's not obligated to just... Now, praise God, he does many times. He's long-suffering, and, and he gives you many chances to repent. But God expects fruit, and God expects you to respond when he calls you into service. And if he bids you, and then you come up with these lame excuses that are not legitimate, there comes a time where he says, all right, fine, I'll leave you where you're at. I'm going to bring somebody else in. And that's pretty much what happens in the parable of the talents, isn't it? He said, you know what? You were not faithful with what I gave you. So you know what? I'm going to give it to someone who is faithful. So we can't expect that God is, he's long-suffering, but he's not eternally suffering <laughs> right he's he's not he expects us to obey okay so there comes a time where he says all right I, i've invited you i've invited you i've invited you to the shopper okay i'm gonna move on and i'm gonna inv invite someone else luke chapter 9 <clears throat> beginning in verse 57 and it came to pass as they went in the way a certain man said unto him Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Well, good. That's a good perspective. I'm glad you're committed to that. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. In other words, if, I praise God you want to follow me, but understand it's not going to be a life of comfort. It's not going to be a life of ease. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus did not have a home here in this world, and this isn't our home either. We're pilgrims and strangers. But don't expect... To live in a fancy mansion if you're uh, well not a fancy mansion here on earth praise god we've got some mansions waiting for us in heaven right but here on earth here on earth don't expect a life of luxury now it's interesting that this person it doesn't say what he did the other people it appears that they didn't really follow him but but this person it doesn't say that he said, well, I, I want to have a nice house. I went my separate way. Maybe he did follow Jesus. And praise God for that. Verse 59, though, he said unto another person, follow me. Now, this is different than just, hey, you need to join the church. We find here uh, that he says in verse 60, let the dead bury their dead. Go and preach the kingdom. So this is a person that's been called to preach. This person has been called to the ministry. And we see the great example of, uh, of St. Matthew when Jesus told him the same thing, follow me. And what did he do? He laid down the receipt of custom. He said, all right, God said, God bid me to the supper, right? He didn't come up with excuses. God bid him to the supper. He said, all right, this is, this is my comfort zone. 
this is the, the career that I've built to be very successful, and I'm just going to lay all that down right now. We're going to make our way, Lord willing, to the rest of these parables in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13. And listen, when you find the treasure in a field, because of the value of that treasure, you go and you sell all you have to possess that treasure. And that's what Matthew did. He saw the value of the treasure. God called him to follow him, and he said, all right, me giving up my career is nothing to follow the Son of God. But this person said, he said, follow me, and he came up with an excuse. Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. Now, that, 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 that's legitimate. That's legitimate, right? But it's a matter of priorities. Look, God called you to preach the gospel. There's other people that can bury your father. You're, uh, there's other people that can pick up a shovel. There's other people that can bury your father. But you have been called to preach. You have been called to press into the kingdom. And then he said in verse 61, And another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first. Which, by the way, I didn't highlight there. Notice this, this language that they used in verse 59. He didn't say, Lord, let me go bury my father. He said, suffer me first to go bury my father. Same language in verse 61. Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go. Bid them farewell. What were they putting first? It wasn't the kingdom, was it? It was excuses. It was excuses. Lord, let me first go bid them farewell when you're at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That talks about your eye being single, isn't it? You know, when you're plowing, uh, now I understand this is long before John Deere's and, and, uh, and I don't pretend to be a farm person, you know, but my understanding is that when you're plowing with an ox, you better keep your eye on a fixed point at the end of that row because otherwise it is not going to be a straight row right now even if you get distracted to the right or to the left it's still not going to be a straight row but let's just be really realistic can you plow ahead if you're looking backward the obvious answer is no right like you cannot plow a straight line you can't even plow period if you're looking in the opposite direction right so he said look your eye has to be focused your eye has to be single and the focus is the kingdom the focus is the kingdom and talk about plowing in a in a uh, in a straight path if you keep your eye, eye on jesus what is your plow what is your, your row going to look like <laughs> it's going to look a lot like the straight gate of the narrow way isn't it that we've been talking about if you keep your eye on the prize if you keep your eye on jesus you're going to plow straight but you can't plow at all when you're looking the other direction, right? Okay. A couple characteristics of the good ground. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23. First of all, they hear and receive the word. Now that's not that much different than the other grounds because they're all children of God that hear the word, they receive the word. Not all of them responded properly. But what's different about the good ground is not just that they hear it, but they understand it. They understand. That was the problem with the wayside, wasn't it? They didn't understand it. Well, they hear it, and they understand it. 
Let's go to Luke chapter 8, and this language is describing, and Luke is the one that doesn't say 30, 60, 100. This is describing 100 volts. So this is the standard. This is the pinnacle, okay? This isn't uh, 30 fold. This is the 100 fold example that we should be striving toward. Now, the, the negative example in the verse before that is the thorny ground. They bring forth thorns uh, in the thorny ground. They're choked out. And they, know, and they bring forth no fruit to perfection. So they don't bring forth fruit to maturity. So by implication, what does the good ground do? It brings forth fruit to maturity, right? And what does mature fruit look like? What does mature fruit look like in 100-fold good ground? But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. You understand, right? <laughs> the stony ground person looked really good in the 100-meter dash, right? They got excited. They ran really fast, really quickly, but for a short period of time, and then what did they do? They faded away. Listen, our walk of discipleship is a marathon. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not a stony ground sprint. It's a marathon. And the only way that you're going to, to remain faithful in the marathon is not just hearing it, not just understanding it, not just getting excited. There's a lot of people that get excited. But you keep it. And you bring forth fruit with patience. Long-term endurance. Long-term endurance. And that's what the stony ground doesn't have, right? They fade away. They fade away quick, quickly. The thorny ground gets choked out. But long-term, diligent faithfulness. <clears throat> I want to go back very quickly to 2 Peter chapter 1, where it says, they don't just hear it, but they keep it. They're bringing forth fruit to maturity. They're growing. They're growing. And that's what we all need to be doing in the good ground, right? We all need to be growing. Why? Because our desire is to bring forth more fruit to the glory of God. And we see this progression of growth here in 2 Peter chapter 1. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For these things be in you and abound, they make you that you will not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Wherefore, the rather, rather give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you're growing, Paul rebukes some people in the Corinthian church because they were still carnal, they were still babes in Christ. And then Paul rebuked uh, the Hebrews that said, listen, you are reaching the point where you should be teaching other people. You should have been maturing. You've been in the church for an extended period of time. You should not be the same disciple that you were 10 years ago. If you are, as a net game, you're backsliding. I mean, if you're staying stable, if you're staying, if you think you're staying stable, let me put it like that, like I said earlier, thorns are growing under your feet. If you're not growing, you're losing ground. If you're not growing, you're losing ground. Because our desire is to press toward greater fruitfulness to the glory of God. 
And when you do that, you manifest to the people around you. encourage them too, no doubt, right? You encourage them to greater fruitfulness. But what a blessing it is to preach the funeral of a faithful saint that they have made their calling and election sure by bringing forth much fruit to the glory of God. It's a privilege to preach that funeral. It's a, it's a privilege to say, I have seen them honor and glorify God their entire life, and I have seen them press into the kingdom, and now, praise God, they, are, they have been granted entrance into the eternal kingdom. Make your calling and election sure by manifesting that, that bold testimony of serving the Lord. Um, Philippians chapter 3. And Paul gave up a lot of things for the kingdom. He was the one that was willing to give up being a Pharisee and on the fast track to the Sanhedrin and all of the political power. And, and he lived out what, what Jesus uh, told, told that, that young man there. Foxes have all the birds there have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. You know, Paul didn't have a, a, a real estate with his name on it. He was mostly in prison. And, and when he wasn't in prison, he was, he was traveling and staying with other people, staying in guest bedrooms in all these different churches in the kingdom. He didn't have anywhere to lay his head either. But what he did have was an, was an amazing fellowship and abiding with Jesus Christ. And he said, look, I gave up all this stuff. I gave up all the things that the world would highly value. And I gave them up in verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. That is laying hold of the treasure on a field, in, a, in a field. He said, look, it doesn't matter what I had to give up because they're nothing, not, not, uh, not... What he's receiving is not prosperity, it's not money, it's not, uh, it's, it's not the things that the world would value. You, you really have to be a born-again child of God to be willing to give all of that up for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I just want greater fellowship with my Savior. I want to feel his presence near. Don't wait till you're dying. I want to feel his presence near while I'm living. I want to feel him on a daily basis. I want to, I want to know more about my Savior. And, and having that ability to have fellowship with Christ even when I'm in prison. Boy, I tell you, the Apostle Paul was way happier in that Philippian jail when they were praying and singing praises to God than anyone else on the face of the earth. <laughs> At that time. Why? Because he had, not only, by the way, not only did he have the excellency of the knowledge, but at that time he was partaking, as it says in verse 10, of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He was suffering for righteousness' sake. He was being beaten even though he was innocent. And he said, these are the same stripes they put on my Savior. This is the same type of, of uh, persecution for righteousness' sake that my Savior had, and he had an amazing fellowship with Jesus that he said, I don't care anything about the letters after my name. I don't care anything about all that stuff I had to give up because I can, I can see Jesus through the lattice work. I can reach out and touch the hem of his garment. I can feel Jesus. That's abiding in him. And I tell you, when, when you're doing that, all the fruit's going to take care of itself. All the fruit's going to take care of itself. But you got to stay focused. you got to stay focused. you got to have your eye on the prize. And that's what he gets around to 
in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Listen, you can't put your shoulder to the plow and look back. You can't. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. What's the mark? The mark is not thinking you're doing better than the person beside you. They judging themselves are not wise. It's not you thinking you're doing good enough. The standard is Christ. The standard is Jesus Christ. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I, the Apostle Paul, if there's anyone that you want to put in 100-fold good ground, no one that served the Lord better than him, Verse 16, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. He said, I uh, count not, uh, actually verse 12 is what I wanted, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. In other words, I know that I still have some growing to do. I know that I'm not where I need to be. And if the Apostle Paul said that, <laughs> boy, we've, we've got a long way to go, right? We've got a long way to go. Okay, we can conclude here in 2 Peter. 2 Peter. <clears throat> now, he started out, we were in 2 Peter just a minute ago, there at the beginning of the epistle saying, look, you need to be growing, right? God gave you faith in the new birth, but you need to be growing and progressing up to the pinnacle of charity bring forth abundant fruit to the glory of God. But then he concludes his letter by saying, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to be growing. We need to be growing. And what do we grow in? We grow in unmerited favor. And I'll tell you, the more that you understand, the more that you allow the amazing grace of God to sink down in your heart, and you won't understand how amazing it is until you are perpetually reminded of what a wretch you are. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. But God is always giving me such blessings that I don't deserve. You know, that radically changes the way that you deal with other people. That's the effect that the gospel should have. Because you look at someone and they, they, they wronged me. They were rude to me. They gossiped about me. There's not a place to stand up for yourself. I mean, you need to do that, okay? But I should look at them and, and say, I may reach a conclusion in my mind that they are not worthy of me even being having a kind word said to them. But what should the gospel compel us to do? You know what? I, I have the privilege, the privilege of exhibiting unmerited favor to that person with an acknowledgement in my mind knowing that they don't deserve it. That's the first prerequisite, isn't it? You understand that, right? The first prerequisite for grace is that you don't deserve it. So when you look at other people around you and instead of being bitter and not forgiving them and say, you know what, they don't deserve it, you're probably right. You're probably right. In a natural sense, they probably don't deserve it. But I need to grow in unmerited favor, right? I need to grow in grace. I need to grow 
in being more like Christ. And he just, it doesn't say this in Scripture. It's taught all throughout. But it says many times, God is love. God is, capital L, love. And it doesn't say this directly in Scripture, but I believe we can, we can affirm it. God is grace. God is, capital W, grace. God is grace. So if you're going to grow in Christ and you're abiding in Christ, which by the way, the idea that you're abiding in Christ, but you're unwilling to forgive your brother, listen now, you're not abiding in Christ. Not to the degree that you think you are. Because you think that if you're abiding in Christ, you think he's going to lead you to unforgiveness and legalism. If you're abiding in Christ, what's he going to lead you to? Grace and love. And when you abide in Christ, I'm growing in grace, but I'm growing in the knowledge of God. I'm growing in the knowledge of Christ. And what's the, what's the end result of all that fruit anyway? It's the glory of God. So what did he say? Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to him be the glory. Right? Amen? To him be the glory. And that's the purpose of our life anyway, is to be poured out for the glory of God. I love the testimony of the Apostle Paul there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He knows he's about to die. The last words of inspired scripture. And he said, I know I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I, I, it's been a marathon. I'll tell you, it's been a long time coming. It's been years. It's been a long marathon. But I can say, I can say that I to the best of my ability, and we all fall short and we can all do better, but to the best of my ability, I have been poured out for the glory of God. That's what that word offering means. It's a drink offering. And that should be the testimony of our life, is that we are poured out for the glory of God. How do we do that? Abide in Christ. If you abide in Christ and you love Christ, everything else is going to take care of itself. I don't have to tell you to go out and bear more fruit today. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. What I can tell you is go love Christ. Abide in Christ. And I'll tell you, this church will be abundantly fruitful. Your life will be abundantly fruitful. We will be abundantly fruitful in our workplaces, in the community. Everything that we engage in will be fruitful. The fruit takes care of itself, but where does it start? Abiding in Jesus Christ. Abiding in Christ. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.